I had received an email the other day, and it was kind of interesting. Uh, a man asked me, he says, why do you preach uh, in other parts of the Bible and you don't stay with Paul's epistles? And uh, they just said I should only use Paul's epistles. And, of course, in my thinking, you can't know the importance of Paul's epistles unless you understand what all went on before and why the mystery program came into existence, the body of Christ. And the Bible states this, I think it's important, uh, Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. When we see in other portions of the scripture how God has had a plan throughout the ages, uh, it gives us hope for the dispensation of grace that we're in today. And so when you realize what happened to Israel just makes the body of Christ that we're in today, the age of grace, the gospel of grace, we should say, this time of grace, uh, it should just uh, excite us. Uh, it should give us great hope. Then he states this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, And did all eat the same spiritual meat? He's talking about Israel. And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. That's the Israelites. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples that they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so there are many wonderful passages of Scripture you would miss if you didn't go into other parts of the Bible. And so you need to read all the Bible. Amen? Every part of it. Uh, so... Uh, I want to talk about that in 2 Chronicles 26. I'll be there in just a few moments. Some of you older people remember. Uh, and by the way, have you been blessed by God? Uh, how many have been blessed by God? Okay, I'm going to talk about that. The title of my message this morning is The Caution of Blessing. The Caution of Blessing. I remember I used to come by this guy all the time. And he's a nice fellow. And uh, I said, how are you doing today? And he'd always say, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. And every time I saw him, you know, I'd see him and say, how are you doing? I'm blessed, I'm blessed, you know. And after a while, it got irritating. And uh, <laughs> I said, wait a minute. <laughs> but uh, that's what he would always say. And so it meant a lot to him. Uh, some of you old-timers do remember the old TV show, The Millionaire. And uh, there was a secret donor, and this secret donor would pick someone to receive a million dollars. Now, back in those days, a million dollars was a million dollars, okay? And, uh, it, you know, it's just unbelievable to think of that much. And then they would show in the program how that affected the lives of those individual people who had received that million dollars. Now, receiving that million dollars, when he gave it to him, you would think, you would just, without any question, you would think that uh, it would be great. I wish somebody would hand me a million dollars, wouldn't you? Even today's standard. 
And, uh, but you would think it would just be great. But when you follow up, as they did on the TV program, it showed that a lot of people, when it comes to money, they become very, very ugly. And a lot of times the show would end in sadness and uh, difficulties and things like that. Uh, today, when one wins the lottery, suddenly they have millions of dollars. Or a superstar, uh, he signs for millions. And you say, my goodness, they're not worth that much. <laughs> but they get all those millions. And then you begin to follow those players of the past who received large sums of money. And often the stories end up in tragedy. And it doesn't end up in a very happy way. I remember the one fellow years ago, at that time it was, it was one of the first big ones. It was 300 and something million dollars, the lottery. And this uh, guy from, uh, I believe it was Texas, uh, he won that. 300 and something million dollars. And boy, it was all over the newspapers and his picture and fanfare and everything like that. And uh, I think he gave his church that he went to $100,000. And I said, cheapskate. And, uh, but, <laughs> I'm kidding. But he, 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 in two years, was bankrupt. In two years, bankrupt. Think about that. What in the world, how in the world could you spend that kind of money unless you're my wife? And so I just, I'm kidding her. I'm kidding her, okay? <laughs> the Bible shows the same thing when after God's blessings, God has blessed somebody, afterward it's not a very happy ending. You think of somebody like Samson. Samson, mighty man of God, used by God, great physical power when the Spirit of God would come upon him. I don't think he was a muscle man or anything like that. I think he was an ordinary person until the Spirit of God came upon him. And anyway, he would have that supernatural strength. But at the end of his life, his eyes are put out by hot irons, and he stands by the pillars with chains wrapped around him, and he pulls them down to end his own life. And it didn't end the way that it should have ended, right? And then I was thinking of another person. I was thinking of Demas. Uh, Demas in the New Testament, uh, one of the partners, uh, a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. And here he is. He's seen Paul. He's followed Paul. He's heard the truth over and over and over. And what a privilege to be able to walk with that apostle. But yet, at the end there, Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me for the cares of this world. Somewhere in the end of his life, instead of being faithful to the end, he says, no, I'm not going to be faithful to it. I'm going to do what I want to do. And he goes off into the things of the world. And that was kind of discouraging. Uzziah is an interesting fella. At the age of 16, he ascends to the throne. He becomes the king of Judah and Jerusalem. And the wise men around him kind of protect him until he's at full strength where he could begin to make certain decisions. And when he did begin to make those decisions, you would look at him and you would think that 
uh, he had it all, that his future would really, really be bright. He had a string of battle victories. He made national improvements. His fame spread to the courts of Egypt. He built, rebuilt a city by the name of Elath. That's a city south of Judah. He created trade and commerce. He led successful military campaigns against the Philistines, the Arabians, the Menhunims, and powerful Ammonites. And when he got done with them, they all paid him tribute. He also had men to invent weaponry that would help his military to be stronger, more efficient in their battle. He brought on the catapults, the ones that hurls uh, the stones or hot boiling things at people. And he brought that in. He fortifies cities and especially Judah. He also, interesting, saw, oversaw the fields, the livestock, and the farms prospered under his rule. He had a winning, progressive, unusual insight in all of his programs. First Chronicles 26 verse 10 says this, Also he built towers in the desert, digged many wells, for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains, husbandmen also, and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved husbandry. He loved farming. When you look at this guy and you see who he is and all he has accomplished, all you could say is, wow, we need him today. <laughs> Amen. And uh, this guy, I mean, he's something. He had the ability to succeed in just about everything he would try to do. It's like some people you say, whatever they touch, it turns into gold, right? <laughs> there are some people that way. Well, this here, Uzziah, he was a similar way. Everything he did, it was prospering and so on. And so you ask the question, what in the world is his secret? Well, it's a very simple, simple answer. Chapter 26, verse 7. And God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians that dwelt in Gerbal and the Menhumans. That's a hard one to say. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and up on the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. And so here we have this young, young man now. Uh, that word, by the way, he was helped. It means, uh, in the Hebrew, he was surrounded. God surrounded him with other people of great minds to protect him. And every time Uzziah was challenged, every time a battle was forced upon him, God surrounded him with a wall of blessings. To attack Uzziah was, in a sense, you would attack God himself. And the question is this here, why did God show him such favor? There's a reason for that. In verse 5, it states this, 
And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Why did God show him such favor? The reason is, Uzziah constantly, he sought God, and as long as he did that, God prospered him. The word prosper in the Hebrew there means to push ahead. It means that God, each time there would be an obstacle, God would have him solve the problem and push ahead and keep on going. Also in verse 5, where it states he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding, Zechariah did, in the visions of God and so on. That's important. Uzziah, he stayed close to, uh, to uh, Zechariah, the man of God who heard from God. Somebody answer their phone, please. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, the reason he stayed close to him was the fact that staying close to the man of God would stir his heart and it would keep him closer to God. And he needed a man of God in his life. And when he would do that, God would bless him and bless him to be successful. Today, when the son, some believers who come from very little, when they become successful, they begin to look at the church. I've noticed this. They begin to look at the church's message. They kind of think, you know, well, I, I'm getting up there now. I'm starting to be pretty successful here. And they begin to think the church and its message is kind of old. It's kind of archaic. It's kind of embarrassing because the church is not culturally relevant. Do you know down there at Grace Point, they still use the King James Version? <laughs> How awful. Do you know down there at Grace Point, they rightly divide, they are dispensationalists? Everybody goes, oh. <laughs> that's a horror to them. And uh, this message here to them, though, is restraining, it's resisting, it's cramping their new lifestyle. It used to be good when I needed God, but now that I have so much, I really don't need him as much. And now that church, you know, that helped get me there, now I don't need it to get me any further. And so they begin to turn their back on the things of God. And let me just say something. We need somebody to stir us up toward God. Zechariah did. Notice Proverbs 13, verse 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be, what? Destroyed. Second Timothy 2.22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, you should always run with somebody who loves God, can get a hold of God, and follows God. Those are the best people you need to hang with. 
period. Amen? You are who you run with. We say that to our young people all the time, and that is so true. Hebrews 11.6 says this, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that do what? Diligently, consistently, vibrantly, they seek him. You see, it's not enough just to know about God. It's not enough just to know rightly dividing of the Bible. It's not enough just to know how a church functions. But it's about one's heart for God. It's God that we need above everything else. Uzziah here, he sought God's heart and he knew he wouldn't make it unless God was with him. That's why God blessed him. Now, the question is, at the end of our lives, what will it matter how popular we were, how successful we were, how many things we had at that time? It's God's approval that counts. Verse 4 says this, the first part of the verse, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. As long as Uriah did that, he was blessed. And so I say to you this morning, as all of you who claim the name of Christ, just do what's right. Amen? Always let the chips fall where they fall but always do what's right of your un, in your understanding. But Uzziah, like so many men, like so many other believers, took a sudden nosedive in his life. All of a sudden, immediately, he was unsuccessful. Immediately, he was unused. Why is that? It's a problem that most people have. Uzziah's heart became proud. He forgot what made him successful, and because of that, he lost his favor from God. You see, his pride began to make him think that his success, he could, with that, he could do whatever he wanted to do. He thought he could even usurp the authority of the temple priest. It states in verse 16, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. The problem with that is it was against God's word. The law said that only priests were permitted to burn incense in the temple. They were the only ones permitted. You know, Proverbs 16, 18 says this, Pride goeth before destruction, and a halty spirit before a fall. You can begin to think your britches are too big at times. Amen? We all have to watch that. And only by pride cometh contention. And pride 
That's what caused sin to even to be in this world in a sense because devil, the devil, Lucifer, was lifted up with pride. And so pride has a dev devilish side to it, doesn't it? Now, what happened to King Uzziah? What happened to him often plays out in many of our lives. Here we are. We start without much. That time we're humble. We, we're trusting God. We seek God's face. We tell him of our needs. We ask him for help. We ask him if he would bless us, don't we? We even say to him, Lord, your will over my own will. You remember those days in your life? We used to do things like that. At times, God, at times then, as it went by, God favors us. And the Bible says, every good and perfect gift cometh from above. As time continues, we begin to look at ourselves. We begin to look at our things instead of the God who gave us his favor, who gave us those things. And as a result of that, we begin to drift from our intimacy with him as we continue to trust in ourselves. And that's what the Lord was afraid with Israel. Uh, with Israel, he was worried. He said, I know that and when I bless you, that down the road, you're going to forget me because you're going to think it was your ability that gave you the strength to be able to get that wealth. And that's what happens to a lot of believers, and it's a down road spiral at that time instead of giving God his due. Now, you know as well as I do, we reap what we sow, Right? And there are consequences when we begin to follow our pride. Uzziah foolishly enters the temple to offer incense, which I said was God-forbidden. Only by priest was that permitted, and so the priest confront him. Notice verse 17 and 18. And Azariah the priest went in after the king, and with him fourscore eighty priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. The scripture there shows us that they, these priests, confront and rebuke Uzziah for what he was doing. It's not easy to be confronted at times, especially if you're full of pride. You remember when Nathan, he approached David and talked about how this little ewe was stolen and so on. And it was about Bathsheba. And David said, that man ought to be so on and so on. And Nathan said to him, David, thou art the man. He pointed out his own sin and own pride in what he had done. 
Likewise, that happens here to the king. So when he's approached and they rebuke him, how does he respond? Verse 19 and 20. Then Uzziah was wroth, angry, and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth and angry with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out because the Lord had smitten him. You know, I wrote this down. Prideful people don't receive correction very well. And King Uzziah did not do that. I'm sure he was something when he was angry with them and they were going back and forth. I'm sure he said something like, do you know who I am? I'm the king. <laughs> you, you know who you're dealing with here. <laughs> and they knew exactly. And God moves and intervenes against Uzziah. And he, in this one stroke, he broke his pride, his arrogance, and humbled him. And the hand of God's judgment came down in the form of leprosy. Verse 21 says this, And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death. In other words, he had leprosy till the day he died. Now think about that. Lepers in those days, unclean, couldn't be a part of family, community, fellowship with other people. They had to go be secluded somewhere. And so here he is away from the things that he really loves just because of his arrogance and his pride. But the greatest thing was his fact that he had stopped seeking the Lord and went his own way. Now this story like this has been repeated over and over and over. It's where one is graciously saved by the gospel. What do I mean the gospel? It means the fact that I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself by any of my works. Baptism, giving money, joining a church, trying to follow the Ten Commandments. There's nothing I can do to merit my salvation because God calls for perfection. So God, knowing our predicament, sent his son. And his son, upon Calvary's cross, took the punishment, the penalty of all my sin, himself, upon his body. And up on that cross, when he took my sin, he shed his blood and died. They buried him. And three days later, the father accepted the son's sacrifice, so the son rose from the grave victoriously, the conqueror of death itself. And the Bible says that if I as an individual person, it's not anything I do except believe that message, that Christ is the Son of God, he died for my sins, was buried and rose again, and that and that alone is enough, is sufficient to wash away all my sins. 
He saves me from all my past sin, my present sin, my future sin. I never have to answer for my sin when I stand before God one day because his son has already answered for me on the cross. Amen. Amen. Now, if you were a little Pentecostal, you go, Amen. Amen. What a deal. Free gift of eternal life. Just believe the gospel. And then they humbly begin to seek God as a young Christian. They begin to learn. They begin to grow. They begin to experience God's intimacy. And in their life at that time, he's their priority. Then as time goes by, uh, they begin taking God's blessings casually, expectingly, for granted. Other things then begin to be more important to them. Other things begin to take their time, their heart. They begin losing what they once held, that passion for God. And when you lose a passion for God, you begin to lose a passion for the people of God and the things of God. No longer is he the priority. You know, you can even go to the point, be saved, and even come to an awful plight in your life that you even don't remember being saved. You know, the apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, I know this is to the Jews, but I think it's a, a great principle. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Whereby are giving unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Beside this, giving all diligence. Now notice what he says. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. You're supposed to mature, grow in these things develop yourself into godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity, or love. Now notice, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now get this, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. He, in a sense, loses his ability to have faith and trust in God and hath forgotten that he was purged from his sins, his old sins. You can come to a point that you question and doubt your salvation all the time when you get away from God. You know, sometimes I've been, I've been there. I said, God, am I saved? Could I have done this? and still claim that I'm a Christian? And those are battles that I fight in my own life. I don't know what you fight. But let me ask you this, and I, I'm closing. Let me ask you this question here. Is God first in your life? Is he truly the passion, your first love? Two, 
Am I willing to let him search my life, my heart? Examine me, God. Here I am. Have I personally believed in Christ and his work? Do I understand that I don't own myself? He owns me. He bought me with a price. Am I yielding my all to his will daily? Can others tell that I'm even a Christian? Uh, why do I count it a privilege to be a Christian? You ever ask yourself, do you know it's a privilege to be one of his children? Huh? Do others ever come to me for spiritual help? That gives you an identity that you're a person of the book, the Bible. And they sense the spirituality about you and that book together. Do I consider how much sin, my sin, affected Christ on the cross? You know, each of us have to say it was our sin, my sin, that helped nail him to that cross. And that breaks my heart. Do I ever spend time with God? When's the last time we ever just got down and really spent some time with God? If there was a true revival or a move of God in our church and it depended upon me, could it happen? Hmm. Am I a true child of God? You know, I believe with all my heart like Isaiah, we get wrapped up in the cares of this old world right here and other things become more important. Even our schedules, we get busy, we go here, we go there. I just don't have time to do this. Or what, and on and on it goes. When in reality, we need to stay faithful to the end. Not just the beginning. And then we receive the favors and blessings of God. And then because we have those things, now we can go on our merry old way and own way. God wants us to be his all the way. May we be like our apostles. His name's Paul. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you know it well, verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Boy, a lot of people, they say, boy, I just can't wait to see Jesus. Well, I know what comes when we see Jesus. I look forward to seeing him. I look forward to going to heaven. Don't get me wrong. But I also know I'm going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> and that's kind of frightening to me. Not to say that I would ever be lost, never. I'm always... I'm safe in Christ. But I'm thinking about the times when I should have been seeking him. I was wrapped up in these other things. And as I was preparing this message, it really convicted me. Uh, God says, Jim, you need to do a lot better than you're doing, that's for sure. And I want to challenge you. If that's you, you need to just 
Say, God, here I am. I'll give you my all. Whatever I, I have or am, it's yours. I've kind of gotten away from that intimacy. I've gotten away from that seeking you first. And I've allowed these other things to be too, too important to me than the most important thing. And that's my relationship with you. Father, we just pray that you'd speak to the people's hearts. Help us understand uh, this is not a game. Uh, this is real. And as we learn from Uzziah, God, that's for our example, that's for our admonition to help prevent us from going that way. And I just pray that we might correct course, that we might say, God, I've been going wrong, but by your grace, through your strength and your word, I, I'm telling you now, because I love you, it's your way. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? We hope that you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you to visit us in person. You can watch us live and view past services on our website at gpnd.net. For more information, please visit our website or contact us by phone. Until next week, may God richly bless you as our prayer.